What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Sweat and Grime. It's your host, Brian, again. We got Rick in the house. We got Matt in the house. And on the phone tonight, we have our guest, uh, the man from Instagram itself. We have Soldier of Dirt 81. Albert, how are you this evening, sir? I'm doing outstanding. How are y'all doing? Doing awesome. Glad to uh, glad to have you. Thanks for thanks for agreeing to be on the podcast with us. Oh, not a problem. You guys have uh, when when you first told me about your podcast, I I started uh, listening to it at work, and I was just like, you know, one after the other after the other, and I was just thinking to myself, man, these guys really hit it out of the park. I mean, I can honestly relate to each to each of you guys, and that really brings value to this, the whole podcast and, uh, you know, construction trades as a whole, I think. Heck yeah, man. That's great to hear. Yeah. We do appreciate that because that is one of the things that we kind of feel helps us bring value is the fact that it's, it's not some guys that have never actually done the work talking to people that are in the trade. It's, you know, all three of us are still active in the trades. We're, we're still out there, actually doing the building every day or, or the dirt work. So um, I, I'm just glad to hear that that's actually translating the way that we hoped it would. So. Right. right. Well, what should you pay and, him to and, say that? That's right. Yeah. I'll, I'll cut you a check later, Albert. <laughs> that, no, that's fine. But I'm, I'm being completely honest and transparent with you guys. But also the fact that, you know, you're, you're taking time to interview guys that are, you know, and no, I'm not discrediting, you know, the owners, operators or owner operators of, of business and small business, but it seems that, uh, most of the guys out in the field don't get the fair shake. And, uh, I'm again, just glad that, uh, y'all guys decided to, I guess, take a, uh, take a whim on me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, uh, to give you guys a little bit of background. So this is soldier of dirt 81. Uh, he has been on, you were on YouTube for a while. Uh, I know you've been on Instagram forever. You were actually one of the guys before I full-time started operating. I used to watch your, uh, YouTube videos and that's actually how I learned to use. You did one video in particular that, that really sticks out to me, uh, where you were taking your sight glass and doing slope work using your, your pocket rule. And, uh, yes, you remember, you remember making that one? Uh, yes, I do. And, uh, I was actually checking out my, uh, analytics and I, I really didn't get too much into it just, uh, but I did see that that video is still performing the best out of all of them. That's awesome. Um, but sadly, um, any kind of slope work in regards to using stakes and using an eye level and an engineer's ruler is it's sadly being, it's, it, at least from my observation, even throughout social media and just the workforce in general, um, any kind of slope work um, or even any kind of stake uh, stake work to that um, to that effect has, uh, dare I say, all but vanished from the from from this industry, and uh, it seems that GPS has uh, taken over. Yeah, I would agree with you one hundred percent. It's one of those skills that that not a lot of people continue to value and they don't hold on to and you know for the most part you can get by in in a world with gps and total stations but to have those skills in your repertoire that's that's one of the things as as true skilled tradesmen that's what we talk about a lot is is that the newer generations they they don't carry forward those skills or they're not 
I, you know, I'll put some of the onus on the trades themselves. We don't do a good job of teaching the next generation those yeah. skills too, as part of it. So, well, we don't hold it accountable. We rely on the GPS versus the old school men used to get pissed if you'd pull out the laser and eye level just to check something. They'd be like, you, "You're checking me? Yeah, checking, guessing me? I feel it in my ass." Right. You yep. know. Yep. So I well, did want to mention. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say if 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 there is a uh, if there is a blade hand or a dozer hand that can feel a one hundredth difference in their ass, fucking they they deserve that damn seat, right? And <laughs> take that GPS off the job site because they probably don't need it. But I have yet to ever come across somebody that can feel that much of a difference in the seat of a machine. You know, it's to that extreme. Absolutely, I will say one of my most my, my proudest moments. I'll pat myself on the back here for a minute because it was it was a fucking awesome day. Um, I had to level a pad for they were setting up a concrete back batch plant when I was back working with Dan's and they just started shipping me trucks with millions on them. And they were like, make a pad. And I'm like, well, how big? And they were like this fucking big. And it was I can't even remember. It was probably three or four hundred feet long by three or four hundred foot wide in the trucks are coming faster than I can keep up. I'm I'm dozing as fast as I can to keep up with the, I think they had four mills. It was the year that they redid 96 up here. Mm. And so they had like four mills cranking out and it was only to the end of the job that the trucks were running. And so I get this pad blown in with all these trucks going and the grade, the, the blade hand comes down with his GPS. He sets his blade on all four corners. He comes over and he goes, did you have anyone checking this? I said, no, he goes, you're within a 10th across this entire pad. I was like, fucking a <laughs> damn. That's that, that's, that is honestly, that's been very impressive for a pad that size. That so was hats off to you for th- that. That was one of my moments where I was like, you know, I, I don't want to be an arrogant asshole, but at the same time, I'm fucking proud of that one. Like I, that's, that's kind of everything we work for in the trades kind of really mastering that craft yeah. it all came together and i was just like yes your luck yeah seriously <laughs> that's, right. that's <laughs> seriously that's fucking badass i'm i'm not gonna i'm not gonna sugarcoat it <laughs> that's, that's badass i appreciate it well uh i did want to mention really quick uh for those of you listening we are doing something different tonight we are actually live streaming on youtube tonight so i did want to say hi to richard vincent he has mentioned uh in the comments uh he he said hi uh, if anyone in in the YouTube live stream wants to ask a question of us or of Albert, absolutely drop something in the chat. And, uh, you know, we're not going to halt the conversation to go to it. But at the same time, we are going to periodically check the comments and, and we can respond to them. So um, coming back to you, Albert, can you tell us a little bit just kind of how you got into the trades and kind of your work history? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, let's see here. I guess I can, I can go down, uh, go down a little bit of a rabbit hole with this. Um, make a big, I'm rabbit not, hole. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not any kind of, uh, second or third generation operator. It's, uh, just something that I wanted to do since I was a kid, you know, probably like the rest of y'all, you know, playing in a sandbox with, uh, Tonka trucks and die cast, uh, backhoes and such. Um, Every time I'd be going down the highway with my family, I'd be looking out at the uh, side of the road, watching the road construction going on. And as time went on, um, it just, you know, that's, I just had my heart set on being an operator out of, uh, you know, out of high school, had no desire whatsoever to go to college. Um, graduated in, uh, 2000 
and uh, enlisted in the uh, United States Navy Seabees. And that's where I really kind of got my feet wet with construction. Um, was enlisted uh, for five years from August 2000 to August 2005. Um, got honorably discharged um, when I was stationed out in Port Wainimi, California. And it really wasn't until after I got discharged where I really got into earth moving. While I was in the military, I got, uh, I was, the job I had was for vertical construction, um, doing a lot of concrete, framing, drywall, suspended ceiling, um, stuff of that sort. Now, was that on uh, the barracks said, or the bases? Um, anywhere we were deployed to. Um, gotcha. I got, uh, I got, I've got four uh, overseas deployments under my belt. Um, wow. Two of them were, well, three of them actually, three of them were to uh, contingency areas. Albert, and, I just uh, want to thank you right there for actually serving for us. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And doing what uh, most a, people don't necessarily do every day. Oh, uh, not a problem. I was, uh, I was glad to do it. And uh, if I was uh, in my twenties again, I'd do it again. Awesome. So where were you deployed to? Uh, my very first deployment was to uh, Rota, Spain for six months. Um, we did uh, the project that I was assigned to. Uh, we were just building a, a small arms, uh, you know, a, a gun range, um, building the, uh, the concrete slab, uh, pre-engineered building, and that also entailed uh, rebuilding the, uh, the berms for the gun range. Um, also supplying that with potable water and that was it for that deployment. Very cool. Now, was there like a crash course you getting into this uh, or was it like getting that uh, seat there, Albert, and build this shit? You're being a gunner or you're <laughs> going to be a carpenter? Uh, <laughs> no, not really. Um, you know, there was, uh, you know, there was basic training. Um, that was uh, 12 weeks. And then at once I graduated basic training, I went to, uh, Gulfport, Mississippi for my A school, um, for builder. Um, that was the, the job that I had was uh builder. Um, and you got your crash course in, you know, your basic math, um, how to read a tape measure. Um, then, uh, everything from, uh, forming and reinforcing of your, uh, your, you know, your form work, uh, doing basic, uh, tying of rebar, uh, then you would get uh, place and finish concrete, everything from use, using your uh, your tumblongs to your bowl float, your mag your mag trowel, and your uh, finish trowel. Um, CMU Which, block. Right there, Albert. I do want to stop you for just a second, just to, to huh? just to give a shout out to the the masons and and guys who work with concrete. Oh, dude. Just as an ignorant guy, I had no fucking idea there were that many different trowels. Like, I thought there was a trowel and a float. It's just a one-thing-fit-all service? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, okay, you you turn it sideways, and then right? it's a bull trowel or whatever he just said. <laughs> oh, no, you got, well, you got your, you know, there's, there's a lot more to it also. I mean, a lot, I haven't really touched on, nobody's really asked me about, um, you know, this much in depth in my uh, military service as far as the job I oh, had. We're digging. Well, but, go uh, ahead and keep going. Oh, Don't let us stop you here, Albert. Oh, oh no, that's, oh, no, that's <laughs> fine. Um, I'm completely fine with discussing that. Um, we'd also uh, did a little bit of training, you know, this is all just, in a in a span of about fourteen weeks, this uh, the school this uh, school that I went through. Excellent. Um, 
You did. Uh, we did uh, concrete masonry block uh, CMU. Yep. Uh, we also did your framing, your rough end framing for you know your exterior and the uh, interior walls. Uh, also, hang and finish drywall. You know, tape and float, um, paint. Also, uh, your uh, just your basic uh, uh, ceramic tile. We would also uh, also had to learn uh, suspended ceiling, like. Uh, uh, like it, just in your office buildings, you have your suspended uh, yeah, acoustic ceiling, uh, ceiling tile. Yep. That stuff, we we be, we trained on that, and also uh, uh, composite uh, asphalt shingles. You came out as a licensed builder. I, when I was you just were about done. to say, man, what a broad education. Yeah, that, that uh, was... to a degree, and it, and it, it was just and, and it was just more or less. It's just getting your feet wet with it. Yeah, it's just sure. getting you familiar with what you could with what you were possibly going to be uh, tasked with once you got to your uh, permanent duty station. Yep. But the one thing that they emphasized to us as builders, they said the one thing you're probably going to be doing a lot more than anything else is place and finish is is place and finish concrete. Or, and or concrete masonry block. And it seemed that I fell into uh, the category where most of the jobs that I got tasked with or assigned to were all uh, form up, place, and finish concrete. Excellent. Now, we kind of talk about people jumping into the trades and going to a trade school and then also going out and just getting a job at a construction industry to get their feet wet. Would you say joining... Basically, the core was a phenomenal alternative. And if somebody was on defense about getting into the trades and didn't know where they wanted to go necessarily, if it's the trades or not, joining the Marine Corps or something like that. Uh, yeah, well, for joining the military, if you did, if I mean, if you did your homework, and if the recruiter is upfront and honest about about uh, what uh, what jobs they have available, yep, um, that is definitely a it definitely a shoe in. Um, now, if you ended up getting and in, getting into something different once you got out of the military, um, it would at least show that you have the discipline and the, uh, you know, just the uh, the self starting, you know, initiatives. Oh, it's a great um, resume that, builder. You know, that yeah, that that would you know that would look good on your resume and um, would probably get you in a little bit more than the next candidate who didn't have that in exactly. their resume. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. No, I never really thought that route yeah. at all. You know, I think it honestly gets a little bit overlooked and people just kind of just dive into something without even knowing. Yeah. So I think it's a phenomenal opportunity for somebody to really get in and get so diverse and have the experience and come out knowing so much more and got paid in training. Well, versus pain and, and, and another thing that, that I've been talking about a lot on my YouTube channel recently, I get the question all the time from kids is, was well, military experience really good to have? Uh, yes. Uh, contractors. Oh, it are, definitely is. Oh, yeah. Contractors love is. military guys. Cause you can clear, you've clearly got thick skin. You're clearly fine working out in the elements. You're clearly fine working long hours and busting your ass. Like you check all of the boxes. Well, you could take order too. Structural well, criticism. Absolutely, you can absolutely. Until you got the guy that's done being told what's. What well, to that's do. true. <laughs> you <laughs> learn that, to yeah. Right. Ass. <laughs> but but you know there. I will say that you know you generally are pretty regimented and you you've got your shit together and 
it, contractors love ex-military. It is it is almost a shoe in if you're ex-military and you've got any operator experience. Most definitely. Yes. And two, also a little bit, I didn't get the experience that I had, that I had hoped for as far as operating equipment goes, but I was able to kind of dabble in it a little bit. And, you know, and a lot of uh, that, when I was in the military, that played a major role when they couldn't get people that were actual, you know, job description specific uh, equipment operators to a to a, uh, to a certain, uh, you know, forward operating base or, um, if there were any more, um, machines and they had bodies, um, I jumped right into it. Like throw me on a backhoe. I will, you know, I don't know how to operate it, but I'm very proficient at learning and I am completely comfortable with studying a book after hours to see how something works. Did you get that learning curve when you were fucking up and the instructor, the supervisor come on and just started screaming at you because you just weren't performing what you were doing? Well, uh, to, to a degree. A bitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, to a degree. Um, I'll tell you what, uh, what really threw me for a curve is in the military. I was on, uh, I was very familiar with the, uh, uh, backhoe style control pattern where your left hand would control your boom and swing and your right hand would control your stick and your bucket. Once I got outside of the military, I got thrown into the excavator control pattern. And that was <laughs> that talk about a talk about a learning curve and getting your ass chewed out. But oh, you understand um, what you're but, doing, you're thinking what you're doing, but you just can't you're putting the blade down. You're doing three sixties. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll let you finish your story, Albert. Yeah. But I've got a, I got a story as well about that. Go ahead. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, the uh, the it was all muscle memory, and it was retraining myself with that muscle memory. But one thing that really helped out that a uh, that a foreman told me this is really going to be really good practice for you is they put me on a backhoe with a compaction wheel. And that's all I did was go around and backfill trench and in 12 inch lifts and run that compaction wheel all day. That's and a, that's the way that's to do that it. That was fastest way. That was that was literally the fastest way that I retrained myself to go from backhoe pattern to that excavator pattern. And that was without hitting anything and without damaging anything because it was all straight ditch. Yeah, that's uh, I would so very very similar story to what I had uh, when I hired in at Dan's. I had come from the residential side, and my employer ran all backhoe controls. And you know, I was a I was a decent operator. So you know, I finally get an opportunity to get in the seat of a hoe at Dan's, and the foreman looks over at me and goes, "You know how to run a hoe? Oh yeah, absolutely." What do you How need much me does to it do? cost? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and uh, I said, yeah, absolutely. He's like, okay, go over there. And, and I can't remember what I was supposed to be doing. And I got in the machine and you know how it is. The second you hit the controls, you're like, oh, fuck. <laughs> this ain't <Yes>. right. <laughs> so, yes. so I I spent about five minutes jerking that machine all over the place, looking like a total idiot. And the superintendent comes flying over and I just, I just, I raised the bar. I got down. I was like, I'm sorry. I said, my hands are backwards. I'm, this is not for me. He goes, go get on the hoe pack. <laughs> I said, okay. Mm-hmm. And so I spent a whole day on the hoe pack retraining my hands. And I, you know, eventually I got it, but it is a, it is a complete day of misery 
trying to retrain yeah. your brain. It seriously is. And it literally took me probably about a good solid month to really fully be comfortable with what I was doing before I really started adding speed um, to my motions. And that's the one thing I can definitely emphasize for anybody that is experiencing that, that has to go through that is always be sure of yourself before you add speed to anything. Yes. When you're retrain, when you're trying to retrain the functions that you're used to doing for the other. Yes. And somebody in the comments just brought up a great point. It's even more frustrating trying to retrain your brain than it is learning fresh, because when you learn fresh, you realize I don't know what I'm doing. You're learning the controls. But when you're retraining your brain, you fully know what you're capable of. You're just not able to do it. (laughs) Well, thankfully, now we got the switch. That's true. And the newer equipment, the flip. Yes. Yes. So that's a lifesaver. Well, and and I had gotten into, like I said, I'd really gotten my feet wet, you know, as as labor and doing that, um, you know, retraining myself when the when Caterpillar came out with their 420 uh, D series. So mm-hmm. that was, that was when they, they at least had the, uh, the, the, the control valve. You had to have a 10 millimeter wrench to, uh, to adjust to switch the valve. It over. And, it was be- and it was behind the uh, left hand side, uh, uh, rear tire. Um, I, I can remember that extremely well. Cause a lot of contractors, they would rent those uh, 420 uh, D backhoes and, some some contractors would have it set for caterpillar for for excavator pattern, and some contractors would have it switched for uh, for backhoe pattern. So having that uh, having a wrench handy at times was uh, critical. And then strip it out once you get it where you yeah. like it. <laughs> Just round that fucker <laughs> off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Albert, once you came out of the military with some experience, uh, how did you end up landing in the actual dirt world? Uh, it was actually my second, uh, official, it was actually my first real full-time job. Once I got discharged, um, I worked for a, uh, for a very small, uh, family, uh, concrete company, um, probably within my first, uh, uh, month and a half of being discharged and the, uh, bigger contractor who we were subbed out to, um, asked if, uh, Hey, would you like to at least come over and, you know, maybe, you know, do a, a field test and see if you'd be a fit for us. Um, at the time I didn't see a problem with that and neither did my employer. I mean, they said, you know, if there's a better opportunity for you to learn, say go for it. Wow, so, that's hey, awesome. I got, so yeah, so I got their, uh, so I got their blessing to, uh, go, you know, have a, take a, uh, field test, um, at least running a backhoe and they gave me a dollar more an hour for what I was getting at uh, the, the smaller company. So I decided to go for it. They were offering benefits and time off. So Heck yeah. I, uh, I definitely took the jump. That's great, man. I can't believe just that quick, how far you come in just such a short period of time with that experience. You know, a lot of people just wait for that kind of opportunity as a labor for so many years to even start progressing, but then just taking the... To get in the seat. Yeah, and then just taking the military experience and coming out and then taking the step to get there, like how fast you accelerated. Because I got some laborers that I knew were out in the labor force for five, eight, ten years before they even got a crack at a seat. 
So oh, it would it literally well, there's a little bit more to it. It took me two years of working at that company before I got in the seat full time. But during that time, those two years, I was on the ground with a shovel in my hand on pipe crew, um, doing bedding sand, uh, bedding rock, um, stabbing pipe together. And then um, one of the grading foremen, my mentor, his name is his name was uh, Rick Spar. Uh, he and to this day, I still keep in contact with him. He lives out in California, um, but uh, he uh, he gave me an opportunity. He's uh, he saw something in me. He said, I'll take the time to, he, he told the, the, uh, the grading superintendent, he said, I'll take the time to train him if he wants to learn. And I told him, it's like, this is me. And I told him, I want to be able to get my hands, you know, my feet wet and my hands in every machine possible. And he said, you'd be a great fit for the grading crew, but you got to learn how to read these stakes first. Yep. And he put me on the ground. He took me under his wing. He taught me how to read an engineer's ruler. He taught me how to use color-coded ribbon, um, how to use those color-coded ribbons in the fill, what each color meant, what it represented. Oh, how to read fill the there, not cut it? Oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> the, and, uh, you know, how to read the stakes, what each, from top to bottom, what each, what each number, what each thing meant. <laughs> and I did that for about, like I said, I did that for almost, you know, almost two years. And, I became his, I pretty much became his assistant. And the very last job I was on with him, I was, it was the biggest job I had been on at the time. It was a, uh, a 75 home subdivision, which really is, it seems like that's not that big these days, but at the time and also being in California, um, that's a pretty large project, especially when uh, you've got over 300,000 yards of dirt to move. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I think him taking the basics, like we talk about in some of our episodes of 101 and construction of helping and talking to the trades, even a labor operator and explaining what we're doing and why. So they're not just sitting there cluelessly shoveling, running around with their head cut off. Like now you start catching on that helps you start understand what the other operators are doing and what the other labors are doing and the foremans are looking for. I mean, that right there, I'm sure when you get a new guy out in the field, you probably stop and actually explain to him now and help him understand like what we're building and why, you know, you take the correct right. steps. Yes. Passing and on the, the torch. Yes. That's, that's, the that's exactly yeah. what I try and do is I try to pass that on to, you know, mostly a couple of junior guys. I mean, I, it seems like most, you know, you know, to, to this day and time, I'm mostly working by myself unless I'm back filling with the, multiple, uh, rock saws, but the, uh, most of the time I'm working by myself, but anytime that I am paired with somebody that's a lot junior or just getting into the business, I'll at least tell them, all right, this is where we're doing this. You know, if we're clearing, here's the stakes that we got to look for. This is our clearing limit. We go from there. That's um, awesome. And that's usually, I just tell them as long as you don't break any glass and you're cautious, with your surroundings, you'll be fine. You said a rock saw. Now, what is a rock saw? Well, head over uh, to Diesel and Iron, be- and you'll see on a YouTube video. I want to hear it the big long. <laughs> it's a big hear it through my ears. Go, What's a rock saw? Go ahead and walk them through it. The only rock saw we got is like a cutoff wheel and a diamond blade. It's that on steroids. <laughs> <laughs> so the so the rock saws. Um, 
They're uh, quite a unique piece of equipment, and I wouldn't say they're just local to Texas. There's other places around the country I know that use them, but they are the 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 making the uh, the making models that I've got the most uh, familiarity with is the uh, the Trencore. 1460 and the 1260 and the 1460 means it's got a 14 foot boom on it. 14 foot bar. Okay. 1260, 12 foot boom. But all those are for is to pre-cut all our utility trenches, whether it be storm, sanitary sewer, water, or even uh, dry. And that allows the pipe crew, the utility crew to come through and trench after they've they've gone and cut their done the uh, the pre-cut and that allows the pipe crew to get the pipe in installed backfilled in a lot less time than if they were to try and do it with traditional rock buckets or hammers in, now, in now Texas limestone there's no other option <laughs> now now how deep are you guys typically trenching when you're doing the sewers uh, down there well, the subdivision, uh, the subdivision job I just got off of, we actually, uh, I actually had to backfill for the biggest saw out there. Um, Brian was was very intimate with that saw. Um, once he, you know, he came down to visit and shoot that. Was saw. that the one you're sending pictures said. of? Brian gets a little intimate yeah. with any kind of oh, thing. It's on. That's hard and digs deep. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but anyway, the uh, that saw was maxing out as deep as it could go at 25 feet, and that was to dig a uh, force main uh, lift station. That's awesome. So finally, and you guys, even then, stuff's not going to freeze. And even then. <laughs> But even then, I also had to bench that saw down two feet, which luckily, luckily, by the grace of God, um, there was a soft spot where I could actually uh, bench the saw down. So I was going to say, get, how are you benching down two enough. foot in solid limestone? <laughs> I, I found a soft spot. Yeah. That's, that's, that was the only saving grace. I found a soft spot because... <laughs> was the, there a body buried the, there? The, <laughs> the, well, the little the little rippers I have on the back of my track loader wouldn't even touch that limestone. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So, how long have you been running a track loader, and how how often is it that you uh, find yourself in a hoe? Because you, pretty much all your pictures. <laughs> Come on, can you rephrase that's that for our listeners? <laughs> in an excavator for for the children in the room. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's. It's kind of rare that I am that I do get in an excavator. At least with uh, with this employer, they seem to you know they definitely enjoy you know at least they you know they seem to appreciate and uh, enjoy the the fact that I can operate a track loader uh, rather efficiently and not break any glass in it. Yeah, but uh, that's I really don't mind being in a track loader all the time. It's it's a machine that can do it all, and it's rare that I need another machine in there to help unless the the job is extremely huge. <laughs> yeah. That but, is by far my favorite machine on the job is the track loader. And unfortunately, because we have soft soil in Michigan and everyone's a bitch about it, they would sink. They wouldn't. You get They'd the LGP. Fucking stuck, they got LGP tracks on them. You go Thank LGP you. somewhere yeah. else, man. These freaking track There's, loaders would you be horrible. horrible. LGP. LGP, <laughs> yeah, man. You know. Low ground pressure. Now, have, so, you, have you ever dug... A basement with a track loader? Uh, I have not dug a basement per se, but I've done plenty of uh, over excavation for moisture conditioning, and that was up in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Yeah. 
I was going to say, there aren't too many uh, basements in Texas. No. <laughs> now, I can, I, can see where a track loader, I, I can see where a track loader would be really efficient in a lot of places, but just not yeah, here in Michigan. Now, it wouldn't now, work. Well, and, and two, also, at least up in, I guess I'm taking this back to the Dallas-Fort Worth area, most contractors up there, if they're in any kind of utility or uh, mass excavation capacity, they've at least got you know, one or two track loaders in their fleet. Is there um, is there anything good that comes from Texas? I mean, you moved up here I, to get away. Well, track, I'm glad you're loaders. on tonight, Albert, to help me on this one because I'm I mean, dealing with these these guys that are clearly just... This is a long just, way to move away from just, somewhere warm. It's just pure, it? pure ignorance. Jesus. Why are you the way that you are? <laughs> yeah, Albert. <laughs> so oh. how much do you, how much does that track loader weigh? You're, you're running a nine... What is it? A 963... 963 is oh. sitting at about it's sitting at uh, 45,000 pounds. That's light. So what's yeah. a 973? So that's the so biggest, hang on a sec. The, we the take, biggest one is a 973. We take something that's 70 some thousand pounds and dig. Yeah. Hmm. That's what that's what mm-hmm. I'm saying. Everyone writes track loaders off like they couldn't do anything yeah, up but here. The, but the ground would be pumping with one of them constantly going back and forth. It's the same as a dozer that except carrying a bucket. But the track hole just sitting there literally digging as it starts sinking you back up. You fill your tracks back and get on. Keep digging well, until you sink. But but that's where I'm I'm saying you don't... I wouldn't compare it to a, a hoe. I wouldn't I mean, compare sand, it to an excavator. I would compare it to more would be great. like a dozer... With or a big bucket, or yeah, and throw yeah, like or throw it on a pipe crew. Yeah. I don't know why we don't use them more on pipe crews in Michigan, where we do have the soft soil. Your wheel loaders are we're, struggling. We're stubborn, dude. You can't plow snow with a track loader. Yeah, that, there's the truth. You know? uh, that that is true. He, he he does have a point with that. But with at least down, at least up in the Dallas Fort Worth area, a lot of the pipe crews they ran nine fifty threes, and some of them even had the uh, had the feature to uh, you know have the uh, a fusion coupler to go from a bucket to pallet forks for handling, you know, your bedding material or staging and placing pipe. Yep. So that's uh, when I went down to Ohio to see Fetchco excavating, uh, you know, I had had this theory in my head ever since I got into the business and actually started running a wheel loader. I had had this theory in my head of with Michigan's crap soils, you get one of those LGP track loaders and it would run circles around a wheel loader on one of these, you know, it would obviously be for new subdivisions and, and jobs where you're not running on asphalt all the time, but that would run right. circles around a wheel loader. And Oh, absolutely. Nobody, absolutely. nobody up here did it. And finally, I got to go see Fetchco, and they've got two 963s, and they are just all over that job site. They got a higher lift capacity than their, their wheel uh, loader Dude, they got to have some serious breakout force. Oh, absolutely! They're they're tanks. They're yeah, I'm just learning tanks. about them. Oh, I'm, yes, they're fucking. I'm, awesome not a, I'm not a heavy dirt operator guy. It's like I'm a, a bulldozer I'm a with a loader. Yeah, that's our building trades, man. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like in awe about this. I mean, thing. They got, I've never seen one. Oh, they're awesome. They, they would be really efficient. I thought it was a dozer, but it's not. It's a dozer on steroids that can it's got, it's lift a dozer shit up with a huge push it. Huge bucket on it. You steer those things with your feet. The old ones uh, you did. Not ones? all of them. Yeah. Okay. Not all ones. of them. You can still well, get them with the Well, even some of the newer ones, it, you, you can get, uh, depending on, you know, what the customer wants, um, most uh, most dealers will accommodate you with either the joystick pattern or the uh, V pattern, which once I, once I got into my first uh, D-series uh, track loader, 
I was sold. Like you're you're never going to get me to to think that a V pattern foot steering style track loader is superior to a joystick controlled track loader. You're, that's, you're essentially that's running me. a giant skid steer. It's a video exactly. game. Exactly. So exactly. Cool. I'm I'm like looking at videos right now. Matt, this is so cool. I think Matt's got an <laughs> erection foreman over there. He's yes, really he getting into this. <laughs> we were talking. We were talking. You had, but you had you had Matt when you're talking deep holes and drilling that's, that's hard. True. <laughs> I mean, 24 inches deep. <laughs> now, like when I was reading your questionnaire, I was like, "What's a track loader?" So I looked it up, and it was just like a bobcat. I'm like, "That's." Some pussy <laughs> Who shit. cares? Yeah. But now I'm looking in like the uh, 953s and 73. Holy crap! The thing. I'm just trying to say do the, 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 nine, the 973 is the largest track loader that Caterpillar makes currently. Now they yeah. did for a while. They did, you know, decades ago have a 983. Yes, um, that thing that's was obviously a no longer in production. beast. Yes, and. If you want to get more track loader content, um, let's Dude, do a, a little shameless plug. Check Holy out the uh, check out uh, uh, Stutzman Gerbaz. I think I can't. <laughs> I butchered his last name, but if you <laughs> check out uh, Shay Stutzman Gerbaz on um, YouTube, uh, no, on Instagram. Okay. he plugs he plugs track loaders like nobody's business. Oh, I love them. I love track, and he is he is over in uh, Aspen, Colorado. Gotcha. Now, see, yeah, I was in has, Aspen, and we never had any track loaders. Really? No. Huh. Yeah. So it you didn't get in, get in touch with Shay. You didn't get in touch with Shay then. Yeah. <laughs> apparently. So I actually, uh, it has been a lifelong goal of mine to run a track loader, and I had finally lined it out with a guy in Louisville, Kentucky, last winter that I was going to go down there during the winter time when it was you know cold as shit up here. And he was going to let me go out and work on one of their jobs and run one of their track loaders. And I set up the trip. My parents ended up coming with us because they were going to watch the kids for my wife and I so we could go on a date while we were down there and, you know, just kind of make it a family deal. Uh, The guy stood me up. So two two dates. He He totally ghosted ghosted me. Yeah. And so to date, I have not gotten to run a track loader. So one of these days, it's going to happen. He hoed you out because he just knew you weren't going to be efficient. Yeah, that, that's what it was. <laughs> you know what I mean? The undercarriage and stuff's got to be pretty expensive there. Oh, it's, that's and a massively oh, expensive. Yeah. And to let somebody come learn and practice from Michigan that traveled from Texas, I get where he's coming from. I mean. Whatever, Rick. Now, Albert, <laughs> what's a what's a typical day look like with you down there on the job sites and what kind of jobs? I mean, you touched on some of the basics on clearing and pounding mm-hmm. rock, but. What's a what's it look like in a daily life of Albert down there in Texas? Well, my day will like most uh, like most construction jobs. The day starts at seven, so I'll show up between six thirty six forty five. Uh, check my machine out, and if I don't have any plans on me at the time, then it's just waiting for the superintendent to show up with a set of tr- with a set of drawings with a tree plan, which you know, will indicate what trees to remove and what trees will stay, if any. And then I'll just go around and sometimes, well, before I get too far ahead of myself, I'll either get a, like I said, I'll get a set of drawings or I'll get a PDF emailed to me um, that will entail the, the clearing limits, the limits of clearing LOC of the project that I've been, that I've been uh, sent to. And it's more or less just going around and chasing 
inside the limits of clearing and clearing and removing any trees that are in the road, the lots, anything like that, that are to be removed. Um, and a lot of times, um, I don't know how it would be up in Michigan, but at least here in uh, central Texas, they'll, uh, they'll include a tree plan, which will entail trees that are significant to be removed, significant to be preserved, meaning they don't come out. Um, and they'll have a tree tag on them. All right. Yeah. And that tree tag will have a series of numbers that will correspond on the drawings or in the tree plan, whether that tree stays or goes. Now, there has been times where it's come, you know, it could be a tree that's saved and it's, you know, right on the edge of a curb line. I'll take that and call my, you know, call my superintendent and tell him, hey, this, this tree is falling right inside the curb line. It's questionable. I'll, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to preserve it for now until I get the go ahead from you or somebody else to, to remove it. Smart. And that's, that's, uh, that's usually as far as the clearing side goes, any kind of, uh, clearing of the, of the new projects. Um, other times there, I can count on one hand, how many times I've had to go and load trucks, uh, with my track loader with, uh, with this current employer. Um, so that's, that's kind of a rarity, but it, it does happen on occasion. Um, the second, uh, most, uh, most active, uh, phase of work that I seem to fall into is backfilling for the rock saws and more about the rock saws is they are subcontracted, um, to us through, uh, through HL Chapman and HL Chapman They're If, if you're down here in central Texas, you know who they are and all they specialize in is rock excavation. Is that due um, to the fact that they have the equipment pretty much? It's just yes, so expensive to have that's, it. Yes. So and some of the, and, and some of those saws are older than me and I'm 40 years old. Damn, that's <laughs> fucking old. So, but the, <laughs> the Jesus, thing about man, those about saws, there? <laughs> well, the thing with, uh, the, the thing with, uh, those saws are, is they are all, uh, equipped with, uh, a top con GPS system. Now it's not specific grade control where they just, you know, get down to depth and they push an auto button. It doesn't have any kind of automatics on it. It's, uh, it's indicate only. So, um, talking with one of the operators, I got inside his cab one day and was, uh, BSing with him on, on, uh, you know, how that worked. And he said, as long as they're roughly about two tenths, uh, below their target grade, they're, they're fine with it. And that's only just so that way they make sure that they have enough uh, rock cut out for their bedding material and the pipe. I'm assuming you guys call Mystic before you use one of those bad boys. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. That yeah. machine doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> what? The city of Dallas doesn't have a sewer main anymore? Yeah, hey, you know, not a big deal. <laughs> didn't even feel it. Yeah, that's <laughs> shitty. So I do want to take a quick second here because we've we've been having some comments come in and, and because of the conversation, I haven't doubled back to them. But um, okay. now that now that I know you've got some excavator experience, one of the questions was, and, and we can go around the room here. Uh, what are your thoughts on tilt rotators? My thoughts on tilt rotators, me personally, I think for a smaller contractor, I think they are a absolute perfect tool 
for a smaller contractor, um, there is, uh, at least this is all just based on my observation and own personal, uh, you know, <laughs> experience or lack thereof. Um, there is a little bit of an in- initial, uh, cost up front, but over time you are going to see that pay for itself because for you what? are reducing. Ditch work and everything, right? Yeah. yeah so you, you basically are... can hydraulically angle the bucket side gotcha. to side. All right. So instead yes, of tracking but, around. Yeah. Exactly. It, 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 there's a lot of benefits to it. It's going to lead to less wear on your undercarriage because you're going to just sit in one spot, rotate, place material, and you're also going to probably save money. Um, over time, it's going to add up, but you won't be wasting as much uh, material, say, if you're placing rock or sand for, uh, a re- for a perimeter drain around a basement, I guess. Right. Um, you can, you can, you can actually place it where you need it and not having to put too much or have a bunch of wasted material from having to constantly rake the pile up just to get, you know, the last half a yard. I think you a tilt rotator would you be freaking spin that bucket around and scoop it like a loader bucket Yeah, or whatever. I think a tilt rotator on like a one thirty size case machine. For a mid-sized contractor, I think you'd be at a disadvantage with a big contractor with one of them. But I think a guy that would get in to like landscaping, septic fields, cutting, you know, for small builders where they're not doing the big production, but the more custom kind of job sites, I think something like that would really bring a machine and a crew to life. Next week, it this is what we're going to have would. in this driveway. It's, it's, right. it's going to save on labor costs. I, I would, I would use the cost. shit out of one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, I think it's one of those things where, like everything else in the dirt world, the the well, not just in the dirt world, in any of this, in a, all right, sweet Jesus, brain you shut about, down. You there. think about what the <laughs> you think about doing just tree work and doing the dirt work and stuff. I mean, you would have to be a person that's not a one set minded kind of person. You'd have to be able to think like the rotator the way you wanted to make it work. You'd have right. to be able to think like a three four D, yes. not just a two D mindset when you're. You're an artist. Yeah. I mean, you're you're moving yeah. earthwork with your brain, and then you're physically with a muscle memory making this thing carve Mother Nature and do what you need. So right. So exactly. where I was going with that before my brain decided to just totally take a shit on me, um, <laughs> like like most of the trades, you the right tool is going to perform in the right conditions, and and the tilt rotator, you know, whether it's just a tilt bucket by itself or a tilt ro- tilt rotator. Uh, it's not going to work in every application. And if you try to apply it in every application, you're ultimately not going to see the benefits from it. So, you know, if you're doing a lot of slope work, if you're doing a lot of ditch work, absolutely, it's going to save you a lot of labor. Uh, it's going to save you a lot of handwork. It's going to save your undercarriage wear, all of those things that everyone mentioned. But some of the drawbacks are, uh, you know, you're, you're putting that bucket even further away from where the hinge is uh, on the stick, on the end of the stick. Right, you... Go ahead. Right, you are changing the ge- you are changing the geometry of it, and 100%. you are you know you're you're putting a lot more weight further away from you. Yes. So that's that's just one thing. As the operator, and as as you know, you get more experience with that, and you get more comfortable with that. You got to be able to compensate for that. Yes. And every you know a cubic yard of gravel is going to weigh considerably different from a cubic yard of sand. Yes. 
Yeah, and it's one of those things. So you're losing breakout force because you're increasing the radius at the end of the bucket. You're you're decreasing the amount you can hold out there at the end of the stick. Well, you're offsetting your counterweight now. Yep, exactly. So you're bringing a couple extra pairs of underwear. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, too. Also, you can there. there you know, there's some that you know. I think all of them now depend even you know depending even whatever uh, manufacturer for the tilt rotator is. You can take the actual rotation part on and actually just do a, uh, I wouldn't call it a, a hard pin, but you could direct connect your bucket without the tilt rotator. So you, you gain that uh, breakout force back um, without compromising, you know, the stability of your machine or um, run the risk of damaging the rotator itself. Yeah. It would, it would take a pretty seasoned operator to really be efficient and get your money out of something like that. Yes, bouncing, right. And giving him like a tag trailer, time. let him take the tag trailer, bouncing job to job, cutting for concrete right now. Hurry up, doing some drain tile, maybe a septic field, running over, putting the swale <laughs> in. I mean, that would be like the application of the variety, and you'd put the one guy in there with that machine to be yep. really efficient and let him go around with like I'd say a labor. Yeah, right. Exactly. So. Exactly. So look not, at rock, look ahead. at uh, look at rock structures on Instagram. He's got, I think he's got three of those things and that, that him and his crew are, they, they are a well-oiled machine and a Swiss army knife. Yeah. Those guys can go out and do anything. And I think that's really the application for something like that is somebody that is kind of a jack of all trades on a machine with that mindset. I mean, that they are Swiss Army knives. They're very creative and they're intuitive. So yeah, they they understand what they're trying to accomplish right then and now. Don't take them minutes and seconds to think about what they're doing. They're just doing it right now. Adapt. So well, yes. and, and that's where you get into kind of an American problem overall. And we've talked about this before, but Americans for whatever reason uh, don't like attachments. Bigger, I don't, I don't understand better, it, dude. Bigger I don't understand it. It's you know you can take. Guys are all about the skid steer because it's got all these attachments and you can use it a bunch of different ways. Because it's a Swiss army knife. But no one ever takes that to the next step and goes, hey, I can do the same kind of thing with the excavator. Right. Because they'd rather go, well, you know, for, I don't know what a rotator costs, 10 grand, 20 grand. Depending on the size. Oh, man. They're spendy. More than that, I'm sure. So (laughs) for an, an employer to look at something like that, like I said, being real versatile in the scale of work and projects, like, had to be a pretty substantial amount of money for projects, but they could pay one or two guys to labor, yep. put a machine out there, maybe throw a second machine out there for a couple thousand dollars here and there versus 50 grand. Right. But I think now with the way the labor market's turning and operators, I think you're going to start seeing a lot more of the Swiss army knife kind of things coming it's, out with the machines because, dude, it's versatile. I'd love to have one. It, yeah. It seriously is. It is, especially with the, just with the, the, like you said, the labor market is your, the contractor is looking to get leaner and looking to get more efficient and looking to get more, you know, more done at a cheaper overhead. And uh, one of those, one of those attachments, it's granted, it is a cost up front. I'm almost, there's no, there's no beating around the bush about that. But, if you're looking to go in it for the long haul, 
I think that is something that is well worth investing in if Absolutely. it's going to keep you profitable. But you think about, you think about though, we could overcut it, pay the labor to compact sand or stone in it. We could overdig and compensate for a couple hundred dollars in yardage on material, throw it in there, compact it, overdigging it, instead of sitting there trying to critique to one, two percent. So it's cost benefit. I get where we're going with the conversation, but initially the 50000 up front, I'd rather throw another seven, $800 on a job for this then go buy $50,000 worth. Well, but the way to think about this, over and over and over. The, the way to think about this though, it's, it's the same thing we've talked about with like the IDIG system and everything. You can't just think of uh, a one dimensional uh, answer to the cost question. Correct. It's, you got to yes. think about the, 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 how much are you paying the two laborers to chase the hoe right now and grade that sand in? Plus you got the machine time. Go ahead, Albert. And and not just that too, but it's like, how long is that going to, how long do you think that's going to keep progressing? And how, how much cost do you think at the end of the year you would have uh, spent in labor versus an attachment? Now, granted that attachment too, it's going to take, it might take a couple of years to pay it off, but would you also rather save the back and the morale of your guys and give them a promotion to the seat of a machine if they're trained properly? Right. Where oh, are we so we, yeah. don't, we, yeah, don't we don't do think this. that way, damn it. <laughs> now, now, if you do the cost, the cost over run analysis on the computer and say you do have a couple hundred jobs lined up and you could see the savings up front costs, it's a big purchase. But if you could see it on paper, yeah, why not? But over, over it all, I mean... I think it's a phenomenal idea, but there's no right or wrong answer with this, but the cost savings would be huge. The labor market, it would be huge since we're running shorthanded. And then you're also kind of putting a skid steer slash dozer twist loader spin with an excavator with a tilt rotator. I mean, well, I, would, I would love to have a one. I, I think it. you could sell mm -hmm. me on it. If you get me enough landscaping and retaining wall, excavating jobs, septic fields like that for a machine that size, I would hands down. So this is where it. you start getting into the very one dimensional thought of how Americans view excavators. So if you, yes. if you take a look at like a Danish construction channel, uh, some of the European guys, uh, I know Ken, uh, Ken white construction just purchased a hoe with a tilt rotator with the little grapple on the back of it. Yep. When you start watching the way these, you know, you get a good operator in there that can think outside the box and you look at how they use that, it is saving them substantial mm -hmm. money in just now I didn't have to bring a skid steer to the job. So you're talking just to get a skid steer to the job where you already got your hose sitting on. You're talking fuel time for the truck. You're talking maintenance on the truck wear and tear. You're talking whatever machine time that skid spins on the job, plus the guy that you had to pay however many hours between the driving it to the job, operating and driving it back. None of that gets factored into this yep. analysis you know for why, Americans. Though? None you, of the mobilization costs either. Correct. Oh, yeah. Have you noticed, though, the $50,000 that we're talking about, most of the bosses would just like to eat that away themselves. Well, that's right. Yeah. So. And that's the thing and is no one does that math. That does have to change about that. That's, that's, yes. that's and that's that's what Brian is is that that one dimensional thought process has got to change. Yep. And they got to be they got to be open to thinking outside that box. Yes. And that's that's, what, that's why I like being so versatile though. Yeah. Because it it for mm. guys like us, we would look at something like that if we could get our hands on it and would love to try it out because of the versatility right now. 
And I mean, you would be able to sell this right now with just a video, putting it on a job, just going, God, I wish I had this 10 years ago instead of the mindset. You know, sometimes we just put the yeah. dollar before everything. When's but, that making a diesel yeah. iron? It's it's That's putting right. the, it's putting it's in a lot of cases. In some cases, well, dare I say, even a lot of cases, it's, it's, they're wanting to put the carriage before the horse. <laughs> yeah. So let's switch gears. You know, I think we've got this one down. Let's switch gears. We had another question come in here. Uh, what do you feel is crossing the line with behavior from my boss? Um, and what is just the older generation way of doing things? So where do you, I guess the question is kind of, where does that gap kind of, you go over it just being an old timer and this is the way things were to, Hey, this guy's an asshole and I shouldn't, I shouldn't have to be treated this way. I think, I really think, I mean, that's a sensitive topic with some yeah, people, we, but I really think when it comes down to something like that, it's also starting to make the stubborn old generation and people realize that they need to evolve with the technology and the way things are taught with the younger generation to understand. Um, I don't, I don't really think that there's a right reason to really yell at anybody more, but more of taking everybody to the side and explaining and talking and getting the best way I ever did when I had guys like that question he's asking is the leader. I would actually work side by side with these people, help teaching them, talking to them, getting to know them slash working. So uh, right when the boss tells you to go out and do something and he gives you a deadline that this got to be done by noon and you got to shovel 10 yards of material and throw in some six inch pipe and bury it by noon. I mean, that's not even realistic, but there are some people out there that do put these unreal expectation going, there's a machine sitting right over there. Can I start? Well, you're not qualified. You don't even know how to run it. Let me show you. Let me help you. And let's get through this together. I mean, there's yep. a there's a lot of scenarios that right. a leader shouldn't even be a leader. A boss no. shouldn't be a boss. And They're setting everybody backwards. Yes. I mean, yeah, they don't they don't dictate and delegate anything. So for somebody that's new getting into industry, they also have to kind of understand where they're coming from and the criticism. Because before we used to have the trades, like when you came in, you knew something because you worked out on a farm or you worked with your uncle or your dad kind of in the trade. So the old timer guys were like, man, go do this, go do that. And you were, you would half-ass fake it and make it, figure it out. Now these guys, they, fuck, they might not even started a lawnmower. Yep. And here they are with this shovel, like with this pointed <laughs> end going, the fuck is this thing? Right. You know, so. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So and go ahead, Albert. With, with, with my take on it is everybody's going to learn differently. And like I said, if I get handed somebody that's brand new, never been in a machine, I'll take them through. The first thing I'll do, I'll ask the boss, like, do I have a little bit of time to get this person familiar with at least a, a walk around of the machine to at least know where their fluid checks are, where, you know, like where to check the oil, where to check the hydraulic fluid, where to check the, the coolant. At least give me some time with that. If this is, you know, this is somebody that's, never been in this business and that's going to be around um, and, and, and we're going to go ahead and, you know, put him in a machine um, here, at least give me some time with this individual. So that way I can tell him, okay, this is how this machine works. But before we get to that, here's where you got to check. This is what you have to check daily, your oil, your water, your hydraulic fluid, your transmission fluid, check all that out, explain that to them, show them where everything is. And 
there's other stuff that they'll come up along the way. I would tell them, it's like, here's my phone number. If there's a code that gets thrown, call me, tell me what it is or show me, tell me what the symbol looks like. And I'll come over there and I'll explain it to you what that is. Okay. This is something that is going to shut the machine down or this is something that we can work through until a mechanic arrives. Yeah. You yeah. can spend 20 minutes doing That's, what you just said and it will save you thousands on the back end because your machine's not broken. Seriously. Yeah. Oh God. You know, for that question though, I mean, that's like catch 22. Cause you got to think of the frustration now of a foreman or a boss dealing in today's market with the guys that don't understand and grasp the concept of work and what we're doing with right now. So it's just that body showing up is amazing for him to even have a body there to work with, let alone he's short one or two guys. So is being an employee, being open-minded to change and understand that you might be bouncing from operating right now to labor and to run the water truck to, you know, helping the one material truck get unloaded and strapped down and gone to flag. And so you, I think we also, like we say, the one dimensional mind, well, that's not my job. I mean, that's not a fair mindset to kind of come in. So when you, when you look no. at some of these operators and these labors and the bosses, we all think this is our job, but really at the end, we're in it all together to get something done. So, I mean, these guys now, they're trying to do more with technology and it's so fast paced with the equipment, the labor and the skill set that's not necessarily there. I mean, we're, we're talking a 10, 12, 15 year age gap right now. And guys with experience to the guys that are to come in and not really knowing a whole lot. You got to kind of also be able to look at from their shoes and the pressure that they're under. They have deadlines. Yeah. We, we'll we got to be done now. And yep. he might come out of a meeting kind of ticked off because we underperformed today and be a little aggravated and kind of project it on you, even though that was wrong. But the guy's under pressure. Yeah. You know, he, everyone has personal life problems too, and we're all here to get something done. Mm-hmm. So for the boss to kind of overstep boundaries, I mean, there, there's right and wrong. There's job site talk. There's not job there's site time talk. There's place for things. Right. But at the end there, I mean, this is your boss. He's getting paid for where he's at. You're getting paid where you're at. Hopefully you learn something from whether you get into his position and you're like, you know, I had this jackass to do it. Just treat it like everyone like shit. Don't be like him. Yeah. You know, so right and wrong. So that's. I want to kind of take a step back and I, I think we can answer it. And, and Rick just kind of stepped into the second way to answer it. But I think there's two ways. The first way, like you guys were initially talking about, uh, when it comes to trying to get knowledge from someone and, and if they're just terrible at training, uh, you know, sometimes you got to accept that that you're with an old timer that's set in his ways and he has no interest in helping the young pups. And it is what it is. And you can call that guy an asshole and it is what it is. But don't let that stop you from progressing in your trade, you know, that's where I would say, look, look above and beyond that person. Go find someone else that is willing to train you. Don't waste your time on, on someone that like note, that. Though, he's teaching you the way most likely he was taught being in the old time way. There's some guys that don't want to yeah. train at all. Like it's literally, mm-hmm. no, I'm not, not fucking talking to you. Yeah. And so, um, you know, that's where I go. Don't waste time on those guys. Now, the second way, which Rick just just kind of touched on that I can answer this is coming at it from how they handle conflict, how they handle uh, correcting on the job site. And and here I would say at the end of the day, uh, that is a personal call. 
uh, it's up to each individual on how much you're going to take and how much you're going to put up with before you throw in the towel. But you do need to come into the trades understanding that this is not an office job. People don't give you polite courtesy emails when you screw up. Uh, like Rick, Rick just said, people are under tight deadlines. There's a lot of pressure, a lot of stress uh, on top of the fact that, you know, it's it's just kind of accepted construction vernacular that you're going to get screamed at and you're going to have some F-bombs thrown your direction. Now, where it crosses a line in my mind is when it's not about correcting the problem and it's a personal attack. It's you're an idiot. It's you're never going to amount to anything when it's when it's the the problem is with you, the individual, not with the fact that yes. you screwed up. That's where we're definitely over a line. Those are big red flags. Right oh, yeah. There. yeah, absolutely. That, more. Absolutely. That, I mean, that, that's from got zero place in it. There's, that's like shovel throwing hammers coming. Yes. Dropping the bomb. <laughs> yeah. But I think you're right, yes. though. The way you just said all that was perfect. And I want to exactly. reiterate that, though, you need to know when. You need to quit successfully yes. and move forward on. Yes, this is this is like the situation now where tomorrow, if something goes off, I'm having a bad day, and he says something else, I legitimately might just fucking take a swing at the guy out of anger. Yeah. So no one to quit and well, value your self esteem too. I mean, yes, quitting is a good thing. Well, yeah. and I was gonna say, you know, it's a two it's a two way street here. So I've told this story before, but I had a foreman that was just he was no, a notorious asshole and he everybody hated working for him story. and <laughs> and he was just he would not ease up off of me i was learning how to run the loader i had no idea what i was doing and i'm trying to follow his directions but every time he calls me he screams at me and and finally you know we're in the heat of battle in rush hour traffic in the middle of detroit and I'm trying to swerve through traffic with a side dump bucket full of P-Stone. So if you make one wrong move, you unload half the bucket in the middle of live traffic. Like it's a high pressure, high stress oh, yeah. situation. And he calls me up and starts chewing my ass because I didn't put the P-Stone in exactly the spot he wanted it. And I, I had had it at this point. And so I fucking lit him up and I told him, if you want the P-Stone in that fucking spot, you need to make it crystal clear. Don't come screaming on the phone telling me some nebulous thing, you know, place that I have no idea where you're actually talking about. Stand over the trench and point if that's where you want it. And then I hung up the phone. He never talked to me that way again. So yep. it is a two-way street. And I will say that if it's come to it, and this is where I want to be very clear before I get someone emailing me that, hey, you got me fired. I quit. <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah, I quit you know, my job. If, my kids are Yeah, homeless. exactly. Quit my I job. I Christmas. Can't pay my bills. <laughs> Fuck you, Brian. <laughs> but no, it's it, if in the if the circumstances are right, and if it has come to that point where it is either something's going to change or you're out there is an appropriate time where you can absolutely fire back and that will absolutely gain your respect with that guy. And he didn't, yeah. he didn't talk to me the rest of the time that way on that job. And you could just tell his respect level went way up because I didn't cave. I got back at him. So, you know, when I quit, I was probably about 19 years old. I was running the backhoe. We had the new guy that came out. I was just, I was like, I'm jumping on the bulldozer out through the new guy in the backhoe. We're moving dirt on this residential shit site, trying to get the dirt from around the back of the basement into the front of the porch and up to the truck, to the road. And, uh, I didn't explain it to the guy because I was like, 
I'm not going to talk to this guy. You're new. You're an operator. This is your fucking job. I'm going to push the dirt here. Go put it into the porch. Yeah. This is what we're doing. And a couple hours go by, and all of a sudden, I realize that I've been pushing yards and yards of dirt fucking into this pile, and the backhoe hasn't been moving. Like, I was just, I was had my headphones on, doing my own fucking thing. I didn't even care. I was, I was in heaven. I was on the bulldozer learning, right? And all of a sudden, the fucking owner comes there, flagging me up and down, jumping up and down. I get I get down off the machine. I'm like, what's the matter, man? He's like, where in the fuck is, we'll just call him Joe One. And I'm like, I'm fucking running your backhoe. My motherfucking backhoe is in the porch running with oil coming out the fucking oil pan. <laughs> You're fucking fired. I'm like, no, I fucking quit. I'm like, you're going to blame me for somebody else. And we come around, and he's like, look what this guy did to my fucking backhoe. You did that. I said, no. I put Joe One in tobacco, and I forget where Joe One was. He's like, no, you're the only one here running the fucking backhoe, running the bulldozer. You fucking destroyed my machine. I got blamed for some guy's fucking accident. Yeah, that sucks. Hmm. I quit. Yeah. I fucking quit. Well, he already fired you. Well, yeah, right. So then I had to go to fucking Totten. So then I had so then I had to go and get my paycheck. And he's like, I'm holding your paycheck. And his little fucking like wiener dogs on my fucking pant leg. Right, like, I was glad it was a dog. it all up. This <laughs> <laughs> little wiener. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> well, oh, yeah. I think we hit on that one pretty good. Yeah. So all you two checks are walking. Yeah, yeah, that's right. right. So, but that does kind of lead me into one of the questions that that you had written in uh, before before the show, Albert. Uh, what is one thing that you feel is affecting the trade specific to your region? Uh, one thing that, uh, that, that I've noticed and you, you've probably experienced this a little bit too, Brian. Um, the one thing that I've noticed, um, of course, you know, our current, the current, uh, administration and what they're doing, um, me personally, um, I think that from what I've seen and experienced, mm -hmm. um, that's as a whole, um, the abundance of cheap, illegal, uh, labor. Yeah. And, you guys probably deal with that a lot down South. Don't you? Oh my goodness. Well, like, they stop building the wall. So they just walk over and get a job now down there. Don't they? Exactly. And, and a lot, and this is, this is all just based on my observation and what I've, you know, like I said, my observation and my experience, um, just even just setting eyes on, uh, on some contractors, um, they will just find anybody that's got a fake social security number they're they've got kin folk or they're they're kin to somebody in a let's let's just use a concrete company for an example yep and they'll they'll hire their whole family and pay them cash and probably pay them 12 bucks an hour and other contractors other you know other places of employment in this industry will see you know they see and know what you know what those guys will work for because yep. a lot of them they just go to Walmart or somewhere you know and get a money gram and send that money back south across the border to pay, pay to pay their family or pay off a drug cartel. Yeah, um, yeah, that's and, interesting. 
it's really, it's really, really sad that, you know, the, you know, the U S citizen, you know, with experience has to compete with guys that'll come across the border and work for, you know, 12 bucks an hour. And you're trying to get a job and throw everything you can on that resume out there to just to try to get to get nothing 18 to 18 to 20 dollars an hour yep when they know very well that well why should we pay this guy 18 dollars an hour when we can bring you know fernando across and pay him 12 bucks an hour and he could probably just do the same he could do the same thing that this guy's doing but we don't have to pay him as much and we can pay him cash. We don't have to keep him on the payroll. Yeah, it's an interesting, very interesting topic. You know, we don't we don't deal with it too much up here. It is here, oh, but you know, not here. not as bad as probably is down there. So you've got a couple things that are, that play into that. Um, obviously, what you were just saying, Albert, with the illegal immigration problem is is pretty huge in that area. The other thing, though, is uh, having come from Texas, the non-union states. And I was, you know, very much brought up in the, well, unions, you know, they just overinflate everything. And now having lived in a union state, I tell you, Texas could use some unions because <laughs> wages oh, I, are I, garbage. <laughs> well, on that same oh, note, I, though, I completely agree. On that um, same note, now, though, we got work visas up here. I got a buddy that owns a huge side company from here and down in Florida. And we, have work visas for them to come in and they put it's like the bv2 program or something they put in for him to come up here and work constantly and he told me that if a white guy would walk through the door at 15 18 an hour or more i would hire him but they're not walking through the door a car drops at our at our shop comes walk a uh, family comes walking in looking for better so yeah and like they're I, there to the, work. The struggle is the the struggle is real because they will work for less. Yeah. But the v, the mm-hmm. government programs that are in place and everything, I mean, this is also part of the problem with the labor force in general. But these guys, they will work for a little bit less wage, but they are some of the hardest working people out there. Yeah. I mean, yes. I, oh, I, I can't, they, I can't knock, I can't knock a, that for the way they are one and better. And I understand where you're coming from you know, putting it on your resume and wanting better because, you know, you're, you are searching for, it and he's down cutting the job. But I, I think still, even, even if you're looking for an 18 to $25 an hour job with anybody like that undercutting, that job just wasn't for you. There is a job where you have a value that they will pay you the wage that you're seeking. And it, yeah. it, it will be struggle. You got to look for it though. Yes, yeah, it will be a struggle and you're on the road, but you will find that. I mean, up here, I, I would take any of them right now just to put them to work because of the guys right. here. We're like, the lack we'll, of we'll pay them this yeah. week and they'll they'll be gone next week. They're gone. They just like mm-hmm. MIA. So they're yep. finding reasons not to work. I mean, but the struggle's right. real. Go ahead with what you were gonna is. say, Albert. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Oh goodness, I lost my uh, <laughs> I lost my train of thought <laughs> on what I was gonna say. <laughs> oh, you're going deep. What you got long winded. <laughs> what do you, what do you think could that could change in the trades in your guys's area? Like, what would improve the overall quality of a construction worker? The lifestyle, the 
workforce? Like what, what would make someone in the field a lot happier and then that you would like to see it being an operator labor from a company and a lifestyle from America? What would make things better for you guys? Uh, at least in, at least on my end of the spectrum, a lot more time off. <laughs> I mean, like yeah. a balanced can, work week. Here's, well, well, here's, here's the, uh, here's the thing that I see is I can take, here's our, our subcon. I, this is all, this is work, uh, you know, all per words from, uh, our subcon, one of the, uh, saw operators, um, with, uh, HL Chapman, he had asked his boss, like, why can't we just go to five twelves and not work Saturdays pending? This is all during the spring and summer. Sure. Oh, we'll never do that. We will never do that. That's like, I'd tell him, he would told me that I'd be like, man, that Let's why you're yeah. getting, you're getting, you're going to have, you're going to, you're going to win no matter what is you're going to get a lot more production during the week. You're going to have a boost in morale out of your workers from not having to work Saturdays because they work every Saturday, no matter what. Oh, yeah. Wow. Now they just Unless work in like 10 a, hour a, days. Yeah. And, and, and now we're just working, you know, five, they would work from five, from seven until six. I think I, I would, think they need to start valuing and investing in their employees, so we, like you said. We went over that. That's uh, exactly, and and this is too. This is uh, from another. This is exactly. Here's here's another uh, eye opening. Uh, uh, here's here's something else that'll open your eyes. Is their operators don't get paid that much for the you know the technology that they put on those old machines. Um, one of their operators. Uh, with probably, I'm going to just say, I think he had about three years experience. Um, he's only getting 1760 an hour. That's, that's Texas wages right there. And he's on the road the whole time. Yeah, that is exactly. And I tell him he's, he told me cause he tried, he was even trying to tell me, it's like, man, you can come over here at Chapman and, and, uh, and run one of these saws. I'm like, well, and he started saying, you know, they'll have a truck allowance and things of that sort. But um, I, I'm, I'm, con- I'm happy where I'm at. I've got tech. Now I've got a new machine. I've got an enclosed cab. I can't complain. That's all. Awesome. But yeah, they, they were trying to solicit me to, to go work for them, but I just, I, I couldn't do it. Well, our industry is all the, we're professionals at trying to solicit. Dude, we, we will drop business cards off and be like, I will hire you tomorrow. $2 over what you're making. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah. And if you're dumb enough just to jump without digging into what yeah. you're signing the dotted line for. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Because you got to look at the bigger picture. It's yep. like, well, yeah, you say you're going to offer me $2 an hour more, but where's your benefits package? Where's yeah. your health insurance? Now, Albert, right now, right now, my, my health insurance this is probably going to, y'all's jaws probably going to drop is, uh, I pay $150 a pay week for health insurance. That's wow. really not that bad. No, that's a, that's amazing. Yeah. Man, I'm just glad I you got health that's... insurance, man. These, yeah, these companies man, up here will make like you for me. <laughs> they'll make no, they'll make you work without it. So we've got that, or or you're going to pay your own, and it's going to cost you about twelve hundred bucks a month. I don't, I don't so really think for a dollar an hour at <laughs> yeah. the end of the day. Yeah. yeah, for just you singly, you would be you'd be anywhere from the range of eight to twelve hundred bucks right now. Yeah. I would have to say so one fifty. I would take it. Take it and yeah. run, Albert. I would, I would take it for my wife and I. I really would. Now, Jeez. Albert. Wow. Yeah, now, I think your jaw just dropped. If you want to pick it, <laughs> if you want to pick it back up so we can keep talking. 
I just did. <laughs> uh, now, where where do you see your career progressing? I know you're at the company now, and you're doing the rock saw. Are you are you looking for further advancement within that company, or are you going to have to take another step, or are you, are you just going to stay content with where you're at? Like, what's your hopes and I dreams guess- and aspirations of where you want to go with your career? <laughs> Um, I definitely, I really do enjoy being in the seat. I, I really do. Um, but honestly, and I, this is, I constantly battle with this in my own head is I could probably ask and maybe, you know, take a stab at becoming a superintendent. Um, but I think I would be putting my health at major risk. Um, mainly just because my blood pressure is definitely not the greatest right now. Um, and having to be put in maybe a high stress environment or having to deal with phones blowing up all the time, it's never being able to shut it off. Um, Welcome to my world of uh, 12 years. I, <laughs> I was a superintendent before COVID. I, yeah, I don't know if I would be ready for that. It's a big leap. It's a big leap, and it's a yeah. But you know what? At least he's starting to see the value because everybody races right to the top. Oh no, that just because you're the boss isn't. I it was better being the operator. Yeah. Oh I mean, God. Exactly. Oh, there's so many days that I wish I look at my labors and be like, can I just take your push broom now? What, and just do that all day. Now, what would you want to <laughs> see, Albert? If you were going to be, let's say, you did take the step. Just being humble and being in deceit right now, not projecting yourself, but what would you want to see in a foreman that was the leader and the boss? And now let's just say that was you. What would you see that you would reflect into the world of construction as the guys coming up? Like, what would you want to see and what would you reflect? As see as in the, the you know the next the next generation and operators or I'm I'm just, just trying just to, as, to get your question. If you took the step is let's say Albert took the step as being the foreman. Not mm-hmm. saying you're gonna take it, but if you did take it, mm-hmm. what would hopefully you would reflect onto the new guys coming in and how would you want them to kind of look at you from the perspective of you being the operator today? Um I would just at least hope that they are able to to perform the jobs that that I can do, but I'm also not going to task somebody with a job that I wouldn't be fully capable of performing myself. If I like that. They, if somebody is if somebody is struggling with something, I'll get in there and work side by side with them. Yep. If it's if it's you know having to to help shovel you know you know, run with a uh, blade crew and shovel and broom gr- uh, base off of a curb. I'm going to be right in there with them, either with a shovel or a broom, um, getting that curb done because a lot of, you know, the, you know, your blade crew is, I mean, it's, you know, they want to get stuff done quick. They're, they're putting down blue tops. They're asking, you know, when can you have this done by so we can bring the primer truck out here and get ready to pave. Um, the faster you get that done, you know, hopefully, hopefully your upper management will see that and be like, Hey, you know, these guys busted ass. Yeah. Hey, you know, that reflects good on your leadership that reflects and that leadership reflects, you know, from your crew. I think you'd, I'd think you'd be a great foreman, Albert. Yeah. So 
Oh, now your eyes I, might bleed uh, like Gila Monster, yeah. but <laughs> every box that I have written on my lap, yeah, I you think just you checked, checked every the boxes. One. So, if you're ever ready for that step, man, I, don't hesitate. I think you'd be phenomenal. Besides the blood pressure medicine, work on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the old that's I'm I'm gonna be working on that. Come uh, my just get your emailing uh, you know, skills break. up to par. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, that and that's another part that I do lack as far as like you know, you know. The paper, you know, the paper administrative side of things. That's yeah. something that I know I would struggle with because nobody had ever taught me that. And in some cases, I would have to do that, you know, in with previous jobs. Like, well, let's see here. How, how many linear feet of or how many square feet of, of road base did we lay today? Um Damn, I'm I'm trying to you know track that stuff down. Ten and, buckets, <laughs> and, so, and sometimes I'd fail at it. I'd tell them it's like, look, I didn't get this information because I didn't have it, and yeah. I would feel that was on my that was my fault. Um, Thankfully, and, there's software you know, and even, stuff like that for yeah. Nowadays, guys that make other leap when you get into a larger company. It's it's yeah. pretty easy to use your software for daily reports, you know, all that stuff. And you know, if you have good field workers that also can get on that software, that can add into so it helps you finish your reports, get up to par, so you can yes. get all the rate management. And it's, now, and now they can't even run a machine, but they understand that you're putting down a hundred yep. tons of material by yeah. the day or hour. And now you would able, right. you'd be able to look flat going, I was really busting some ass for these yeah. guys. This guy needs right. to step it up here. Well, and on top of that, <laughs> it, you know, the, the other thing you got to take into account is when you cross over to the foreman superintendent role, uh, you're no longer, I mean, you, you can optionally, you can be a, a working super, but for the most part, you're spending your day doing those sort of calculations and those measurements and input numbers. So it's not like, you know, your current situation, you spend all day in a track loader and then you go, oh, fuck, I forgot to go measure all that. Well, and also you hope that somebody in your position that's moved up that you just took over for teaches you kind of like well, you did yes. with the guy yeah. at the backhoe. Exactly. You know, going, so it's just a different, you know, you're, you're not working with the machines, but now you're working with uh, the technology right. and the, the management right. and stuff like that. So it's all about training. It's the same. Exactly. On both ends. And then and you get to take the uh, point, though, of <laughs> dictating, delegating what machines you need here and there and what operators to pull from and labors. Yep. And then, I mean, you're basically just taking when the coordinating. And then when some problem arises, you've most likely already been in the seat and the experience. Yep. You know how to defuse the situation and get through it, whether it's an argument between two guys or a truck driver miscommunicating or, you know, fucking up a fire hydrant. I mean, you've, you've been there and around it with some experience and some knowledge to get to the end goal. Yep. Exactly. You can put the fire out before it gets too bad. Yeah. Right. And, and at least, at least here, when you become a superintendent, your operating time pretty much is non-existent. You, you're, you're in a company truck and you're going from job to job oh, yeah. and you don't sleep. putting out fires, having meetings, stuff like that. Um, and, trying to, you know, put out fires if, you know, your employees are missing hours. <laughs> yep. Well, Albert, we're sitting at an hour and a half, man. Like you uh oh, legitimately, you I know. It, yeah, you killed it. This was this was a great interview. Is there any kind of last words you want to add in or anything you want to plug? Um 
not really anything that I want to plug. Um, any but, advice uh, for the new hold guys? Hold on, hold on. I got a question. Is there any advice for the new endless. guys that you would give thinking about getting into the trades? Like, what what advice would you give someone that's on the fence of taking a step in the trades or not? If you're on the fence of getting into the trades, I'm going to tell you, go ahead and take that leap because no matter where you go in life, if you get a skill set where you're working with your hands, you could have a job anywhere. Yeah. It don't matter if you're an electrician, if you're a plumber, if you're a mason, if you're an operator, if you're a, a, you know, a glass installer. Even if you, a glazer. you know, wanted to get your, get your, yeah. If you wanted to get your <laughs> feet wet in those trades and only do it for a little while, that's something you could take with you the rest of your life and Correct. you'd be able to hang your hat on if you chose to make it a career. Yeah. Or your hard um, hat. Now, yeah. <laughs> now the big, the big question, if you could stop what you're doing right now, what would be your dream job? My dream your job dream would be job. a my dream job would be a pro fisherman. Awesome. I like that. Well, Albert, I want to thank you for your service and your time. And it was just a pleasure chatting with you. And if you would like to reach out and take some more people that would love to get on the show in the industry, please do by all means. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'll, uh, I'll definitely, I've got a number of people I can plug into to, uh, to reach out to you guys. And uh, if, if they would be a, uh, a candidate, I'll, uh, I'll gladly uh, tell them to reach out to y'all. Rock and roll, brother. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the show. If you guys want to uh, leave some comments, if you got any questions for us, head over to dieselandironproductions.com. Go to the podcast tab, and you can leave us a remark there. We'll catch you guys on the next episode of Sweat and Grime. Oh,